0: This said that education is the passport to the future, but tomorrow belongs to those who prepare for it today. So what goes on in the school halls, the staff room, the playgrounds, and the classrooms is pivotal to building a better world for future generations. But that makes me think, what has been going on in these institutions that has got us to where we are today? A place where at GCSE level, young black people on average have the lowest combined English and Maths pass rate of any major ethnic group. And this rate is even lower for black boys. And when we look at higher education in England, while young people from black ethnic groups are more likely to go on to higher education on average, they are less likely to obtain high grades, enter prestigious universities or study further. These statistics are definitely concerning, particularly when at school level. There's no ring-fenced funding to address racial and ethnic disparities in educational outcomes. And an even more worrying statistic is the exclusion rate among black Caribbean students, particularly boys. Statistics show that exclusion rates for black Caribbean students in English schools are up to six times higher than those of their white peers in some local authorities. And in Gloucestershire, where I'm based, 12.4% 12.4% of all Black Caribbean students were given exclusion in the 2018 to 2019 school year. To get to the bottom of this, I'm talking to Education Ministers Lawrence Cole and Sabrina Simpson, as well as Policy Officer Ayomi De Sotubo, all who work for Just for Kids Law, a UK charity that works with and for young people to ensure their legal rights are respected and their voices are heard. I just want to start this by saying a big thank you very much for myself and the team. We truly appreciate and value all the work that you're making and the advocacy. It doesn't go unnoticed. And um, as a black boy who like, recognizes the importance of these resources now more than ever, I just want to say thank you so much. You're hey, welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here. So I want to start this by um, addressing some statistics I've recently become familiar with. Government statistics show that black Caribbean children are more than twice as likely to be excluded from school than their counterparts. Why are we seeing these worrying statistics?
1: Okay, well, yeah, we do see those statistics naturally. um, At Justice Kids Law, it's not just black Caribbean children. We see children from black mixed, black African, all being excluded at much higher rates. In fact, um, there was a report that came out by The Guardian which says in some areas, there's actually up to sometimes five times more likely to be excluded. So yeah, the national rate, yes, they are more likely to be excluded, particularly boys. As to why we are seeing that, I guess it's multi-layered, as I'm sure you can understand which is the right audience here. It's, you know, there is structural discrimination. Um, we know obviously that Sometimes the government do not want to accept that, but we see that in our statistics and we can, you know, when we look, as you're seeing reports coming out in other areas, we're seeing more and more evidence um, to confirm what we already know is correct, that, you know, racism does exist.
0: Yeah, I think one of the um, core problems is that it's like rooted from deep societal issues, which are entrenched. In the sense that it's been um, normalized to mistreat and discriminate against black boys and black men, um, and then you think of the report that came out by uh, Tony Sewell, who concluded that like institutional racism isn't a thing and that we're yeah. not systemically disadvantaged, <laughs> which makes no sense to me at all. But I don't know if that's me just being biased because I'm so frustrated with the system, you know.
1: No, 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 not at all. In in fact, when it comes to being biased, I think that's exactly what we see. So I'm an education solicitor and I represent children who are excluded from school. And when it comes to the hearings, what we will hear is teachers, governors. I mean, I just, you know, and they will use terms like he's a big boy, he's angry, he's aggressive, he's violent. And half of the times what they're saying doesn't actually add up to, you know, what the kind of case they're trying to make to suggest that this child is aggressive. And then what that does, they've obviously, you know, there's, you know, racial bias. In fact, there's a term now that's more evolved that we're hearing more and more called adultification. And what these terms are doing, they're suggesting a level of maturity, they're suggesting criminality, and they're applying these terms to children. Instead of these black children, mostly black boys being seen as children, and then adopting a safeguarding approach. In fact, instead they're being seen as criminals when it's not justified, and then it could, you know it just heightens that we must. These children are so dangerous. We must get these children out of our schools instead of protecting and supporting
2: these children. And I think in addition to that as well, children have been told that oh you're going to end up in Felton, you're going to end up in prison. And then also we know that when children are excluded, it's a spiral in terms of when they end up in pupil referral units, then they're more susceptible to being exploited. So it's the child criminal exploitation, what we now know as modern-day slavery. So there's those issues going on as well. It's a massive spiral. And as you were saying earlier, you know it is to do with the social economic basis of you know, where a child or family are living. Um, that has a knock-on effect to everything. A lot of the children we see also have special education needs those things aren't factored into account so you've got a big boy who's saying oh he's big he's aggressive he's black but actually this 16 year old has got the mental capacity of a 10 year old but that's overlooked Mm. so there's so many issues it's it's very layered very layered. Mm.
0: I think quite often um, intersections aren't acknowledged like for example like a black person with mental and physical impairments don't get recognized as much as their white counterparts I think this can be linked to the idea of like the self-fulfilling prophecy yeah. you're told so often that because of your identity you suit like certain behaviors and actions and so young people are very much like well you already think this of me There's no way of shifting and challenging it Therefore I'm, g- I'm going to meet the expectations As like nothing's going to change yeah. And uh, I think I think that's very heartbreaking Because we aren't always given a chance I think we all naturally have the same ability If we were given the same resources and facilities And it just yeah. happens to be that Black youths and black men are already mistreated Because they, they don't get a chance to show their full potential Yeah, absolutely,
1: absolutely I mean it, it's so important what you see in the media. In fact, the, the reason I decided to become a lawyer is because I saw a man on the TV that was a black man. I was like, what does he do? Um, LA Law, years ago, you probably you know, don't even remember it, probably too young for that. But that was why I became a lawyer. But then when we look at what's in the media today, when we look at what's at TV, when we look at what children listen to, it's not saying go out and become an entrepreneur and be great and be everything you want to be that's not the message they're getting in fact the road is calling them and they want you know there's so many other things that are calling saying actually this is a route for me and in fact I don't see anyone around me that's doing anything different so I do think it's important that we do change the message and for and I know there's loads of professionals out there and loads of people are doing great things and there's loads of mentoring charities but sometimes they're not always getting to the children that are hard to reach. Some of the children that I'm working with, and I sometimes get parents calling me desperate, my child's going to be excluded, he needs a mentor, help. And I'm like, you know, just because law, we're the last resort, really, because we're now exclusion stage. The hope is that parents, when they see their children, um, and it shouldn't all be good to parents, schools have clear direction as well, to put in interventions, to get mentoring, to look at, does this child have special needs? The problem with, particularly when it comes to black children, particularly black boys, what schools see is behaviour. I'm sure for lots of people doing this year is, you know, countless times we're going to exclusion hearings. And it was more than evident from year seven from primary school that this child had needs. And they go through year and year after year. And by the time we get to the child, they're permanently excluded, no diagnosis, and the writing was on the wall.
2: And again, in addition to that as well, is because I've I've been, I'm an education community care solicitor as well, and I've been here for nine years now. And in this workplace and in previous workplaces, I was astounded at the fact that five-year-olds have been permanently excluded, black children, black boys at the age of five. And, And so in addition to what Sabrina's saying, you know, they have undiagnosed diagnosis, and that goes dismissed from year seven to year 10 but even as young as five in primary schools. And I can remember when I was working in one particular borough, it was all primary school children that I was having exclusions on. They weren't secondary school, it was all primary school. So this starts at a very young age, and what you go back to saying about self-fulfilling prophecy, you're telling a five-year-old that they're no good and that they're going to be excluded. The years one to seven are the most formative years of a child's life. So that imprint is already in them that they're no good. So it's, it's sometimes I feel like you're bashing head against a brick wall, but we still have to keep fighting. But yeah, people need to be aware, children as young as five are being excluded.
0: So what do educational institutions, and I guess schools in particular, need to do to ensure that black boys have better and fairer experiences?
3: I think really what schools can do or should be doing is just Having more of a focus on, on reintegrating uh, children, better integration and inclusion of Black children in school, following exclusions as well, improved behaviour policies. I think a lot of the, the issues here are how is the content in behaviour policies, but also how behaviour policies are implemented and oftentimes it's to the detriment of Black children. I think also, you know, there needs to be a lot more training for, for, for staff, for schools in relation to special educational needs and disabilities but also in relation to child criminal exploitation. You know, governors and head teachers need to be more aware about child criminal exploitation and how to respond to it and what they need to do if they suspect that a child is at risk of exploitation. And I think just in general, just a more cultural understanding is needed within schools as well.
1: I'll just add to that one of the things, just based off of some of the hearings I've been to, no school is ever going to say they're racist. No school's going to, no teacher says that. They sit there and say that even when their statistics, evidence that they are disproportionately excluding black children. But what's important is also that they recognise their unconscious and sometimes conscious bias and it's understanding um, how that plays out, particularly, um, I know now that there, it's now becoming more common, there is now training on adultification. They need to understand that and how that applies to a child and how a child is seen in their classroom and the terms that are used, as you said, to suffer in prophecy, are you telling the child he's bad, he's big, he's angry? Or should you be looking from a welfare perspective and wondering, has anything gone on in this child's life? Is that why he appears that way? Should what, all the things that their policies say they should be doing, they should be doing it not be referring to young black boys, as I heard one police officer in the school referring to them as road men. No, they're not men, and they should be seen as children. And if they have concerns, as Milly said, there needs to be so much more understanding around child criminal exploitation, and that needs to come from the government recognising that as well, and to having that safeguarding approach, what support should be put in for children to stop them becoming victims
0: or perpetrators of child criminal exploitation. Do we think that having more black teachers could be a viable solution?
2: I think that's a very good question, but it's also a very difficult one as well, because you've got to get the right type of black person in there. Just because they're black, you can't assume they're going to be, you know, the right people. Just from my own experience, you know, I've seen a lot of black teachers in particular schools and the children have still said to me, well, they're not actually making a difference mm. because they have to, the, the teachers are almost towing the line in terms of what's expected of them from above in terms of management of what they can and can't do. Mm. I've had some teachers say that they can't actually teach the way that they want to, in terms of black children because it's almost like they're not allowed to so unless sort of like we go back in the day we go back into history where we used to have supplementary Saturday schools for black children you know that sort of like gives them a balance so for example I used to do a lot of voluntary work on a Saturday with a lot of black kids in Tottenham and that gave them the balance and it was about showing them well if you were doing this in school they'd probably say you were being aggressive you can do it here we understand you we get that Black teachers, I know personally, because I've got them in my family, they do struggle at times to be able to implement things. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, it's because of all the racism as a whole, some of these black teachers are scared to speak up themselves. Mm-hmm. So that's that's um, a bit of an issue. And then sometimes if they're considered as being too radical, then they're sort of like pushed out,
1: mm. you know? Yeah, and I think it, it boils down to, just as Father well said, that because we know that structural racism is there, the teachers are going to maybe have their own struggles. Um, obviously, we see things coming out in the news, and we um, said so you've got family, friends that are teachers. They maybe have their own challenges within the system. So it's, it's about the system becoming truly fair and inclusive.
0: Southwark Council, who was found to have higher than average exclusion rates, have recently banned school exclusion for bad behaviour. Is this something you want more local councils to introduce?
3: Yeah, I think on the point of of Southwark, I think what Southwark have done is really important. But I think the actual essence of what they have done is create an inclusion charter that focuses on 100 percent inclusion of all children in education. So, yes, there is, you know, there's, there's a focus there on reducing exclusions. I think the bigger focus there is how can we make sure that every child has the opportunity to engage in education and are included in education? So that means, um, you know, in that charter, I know that they um, look at, you know, the inequalities that are in place in in, in schools. They address the, you know, addressing the disproportionality that is evident in school exclusions. You know, why are black children more excluded than than their peers? It's addressing integration and, and inclusion. And I think it's important, you know, while it is important to uh, focus on, you know, on exclusions and, and on uh, banning exclusions, what it is, is that, you know, the support, it's, just, it's really the support that needs to be in place. It's the support on inclusion, on reducing exclusions and on, on exclusions truly being a last resort. Because I think at the moment, how schools use exclusions isn't as a last resort, uh, which is, you know, the guidance in place is the exclusions should be a last resort. And what we need to do is get to a place where we're trying every single other intervention method first before we even get there. So yeah, I think you know I would be encouraged by you know so many other boroughs coming up with an inclusion charter to make sure that you know all children have a way to be included in education and definitely you know reducing exclusions uh, to that extent. But yeah, what what we would say is definitely to exclusion should be a last resort in secondary school and it should be be ended in in primary school. Um, and yeah, it would be great if if other boroughs sort of take that take that stance.
2: Can I just add to that, sorry, in terms of exclusions, because the case that I had of a five-year-old, after I'd been to the hearing, the school had actually said, because their policies were all over the place as well, and that's another thing that, you know, in exclusions, one does need to look at all the policies that schools have. Because sometimes what the policies say and what the school is doing are two different things. Mm -hmm. But um, after that exclusion hearing, the school actually said that they were never going to exclude a five-year-old again. Um, So in in some extent, even though the whole um, hearing and exclusion process can be challenging and very difficult for the parent and the child, it does raise awareness in some schools to turn things around um so yeah and as Mide said you know we need to think about inclusion as opposed to exclusion because once a child has been excluded we've all we've all experienced the pandemic and we know what that was like to have to be in isolation let alone for a child who's being excluded you know so it's very very important and I just would just just
1: add on a bit to say in terms of yeah the impact of an exclusion yes a child out of school is much more likely to end up being exploited so that in itself can lead to so much challenges not to mention you know more likely to end up you've all heard the term "prude to prison they're much likely to end up that into that statistic and worse still when it comes to who is being excluded there's enough evidence to show that children who have special educational needs are the most likely to be excluded in addition to that, we see children who are undiagnosed and with special education needs excluded. So if schools did much more and doing the interventions, recognising not just seeing behaviour, seeing a child and putting in those support. We, I don't think we'd be seeing the level of exclusion rates that we are seeing. So that was just what I'd like to add. And then lastly, just recognising that when a child's also excluded, We see such a big impact on their mental health. So the impact on society is great because when we think about a child excluded, just to give you some statistics, prior to the pandemic, almost 7,900 children were permanently excluded. And if we're saying half of those have got special education needs and those are the ones that are diagnosed, we know a lot of children that are permanently excluded who are not diagnosed. Then we see the trajectory. These children are likely to end up victims and perpetrators of crime. So then we wonder, why do we have a pandemic in a knife crime? We see what happens to children when they're out of school and education, and it's so risky to us as a society. So I think there needs to be so much more emphasis on keeping a child in school and keeping a child supported in school. And the government needs to recognise it is important because it damages our society not to mention what these children could have been instead of, you know, the likely outcome. Whenever I work with children, I always will ask them what do they want to be, and I love hearing that ambition. Sometimes that light goes out because then after the hearings, a permanent exclusion can be up to three hearings they're depressed, they're home, you know, their mental health is impacted. It's so sad seeing how they are then feeling after they've been home, after permanent exclusion, they're distressed. It can be really, yes, really distressing stories. So yeah, there needs to be so much more support so that we don't end up with this highest statistic of children permanently excluded. And that and of course, we can try to get rid of that statistic, and that doesn't mean managed moves, and it doesn't mean keeping it in internal exclusions, because schools are creative. They're like, oh, let's get rid of that permanent exclusion, but let's just keep them away. No, let's not lock them up and keep them all isolated. Let's support these children. And, you know, we see great success stories through Justice World, and if you know of our school exclusion campaigners, but we see great success when children are supported through school.
0: And Moving on to the work that you're doing, what you're doing is uh, truly phenomenal. Uh, the resources that you provide are things that I would love to have had in my school years. And now that I have more uh, black friends based in London and like hearing about their experiences at school, I just know that Just for Kids Law would have been pivotal to them. Mm-hmm. So I know we've already briefly spoken about this, but can you summarize how Just for Kids Law specifically helps young kids going through the exclusion process?
1: Well, we are one of the few organisations in the UK that actually represent children who are permanently excluded. And we recently started last year a school exclusion clinic. But prior to that, Florence had been doing school exclusions at Just for Kids Law for for several years, um, as well as the rest of the team. And we do have other teams as well, because we recognise it's a holistic approach at Just for Kids Law. We've got a crime team immigration team a housing team we do advocacy we do policy so in terms of the support for children we recognize it doesn't just stop with us a lot of the young people we work with need so much more and we really want to make sure that their voices are heard and that they are supported in a holistic way so yeah we have a whole exclusion clinic and by that it's all free parents can just parents professionals young people themselves can just contact us And we would say fundamentally a top tip for parents is if you hear your child's permanently excluded or they're considering exclusion, do contact lawyers like us or another advocate because you need to get that support straight away. I heard a parent recently say, you know, she came to here to negotiate. And the school came for war because that is literally what it's like. You will be so shocked to see what will happen in a hearing. You come by yourself with your child, and you see the school on the other side. Sometimes they're represented by barristers. So you've got the Senko, the head, and it's, it's a it's a tower of professionals, and they're talking about your child from year seven you've got no statistics, you've got nothing to back up what they're saying about your child. You're literally just sitting there distressed and leave feeling traumatised. That is, I think, a key word, isn't it, that some of our clients say.
2: Um, It's also when you ask, like, how do we support the child? Mm -hmm. At Just for Kids Law, the child is at the heart of everything we do and it's always a case of, I will say to the parents, the parents aren't my client, the child is my client. And sometimes that does give the, well, a lot of the time it does give the child that empowerment as well in terms of to say what they want, as opposed to what their parents want, because sometimes they might want to go back to the school, the parent doesn't want them to, or vice versa. So sometimes there can be conflicts of interest there as well. But we always have the child that is paramount, you know, in everything that we do. And as Sabrina says, we do operate holistic. So if once a young person is finished in the education team, which, by the way, we are very small, we are not big. (laughs) And, you know, they might need some support from the crime team so we can all work together and then they can go on to become ambassadors. Um, So, you know, it's it's very holistic like that. So it gives Mm. them a purpose and it also gives them a better positive outlook for their future as well. Because a lot of young people say, you know, when they've been excluded, they're just totally detached. They don't see their friends anymore. You know, and as Sabrina highlighted, their mental health does deteriorate as well. So, yeah, we make them the heart of everything. Mm. So when you say that, you know, if you'd have had something like this, it would have been pivotal. Yeah, it it probably would have been.
1: Yeah.
2: But there's not many of us around. That's the other thing as well.
1: Yeah, there is no funding for school exclusions, which there used to be, which is a shame because it's, it's, again, for the government to recognise how important it is to be represented. You know, we are supposed to ensure a fair system but it is not a fair system at the moment when most of parents and children are having to represent themselves and quite adversarial and not that also understand the public law that has gone on to exclusion, understand, send, you know, so one, again, one of the things we would say is if your child's excluded, do not do it alone. You can contact Just Vickers Law and contact us straight away. One of the hardest things I find is a parent contact and say, when is the hearing? It's two days time. We can't represent we can't prepare written submissions. We've missed or parents have missed deadlines. If you hear your child is permanently excluded, and I'm saying that because I hear it off too often, contact a solicitor. Contact Just for Kids Law straight away. Do not sit on that letter. I know it's distressing. The more time we have, because we also work with barristers that also can support us. We've got like we're part of a group called the School Inclusion Project. We've got lawyers that do pro bono for us. But we, the more time we can give them to um, represent a parent, that will give the, your child the best chance of being one represented so they can at least be fairly represented. And also, there's also time to negotiate with the schools. One of our successes is that sometime, we've recently we've actually had two children reinstated, um, which means that the permit exclusion was withdrawn. But that was all prior to the permanent exclusion. One of them it actually happened on the day of the hearing. So we turned up,
0: but we were
1: in negotiations with the school. By the time we got to the school in the, afternoon, in the morning, they withdrawn an the exclusion. So it does happen. But yeah, you really do need to recognise, do not go into this alone. No matter what you think, and um, get representation. I
2: think the other thing as well is that I always give to parents, if they are able to read it, that is that there is guidance. Mm-hmm. So we have the suspensions from exclusions guidance, which has recently just changed in 2022. Mm-hmm. So it's always worth bearing in mind if a child was excluded before September, then they're under the old guidance. If they've been excluded after September 30th, then it's the new guidance. But I always encourage parents to read that because that in itself does empower them as well. Mm-hmm. So, for example, if you know, it's the last minute, like the exclusion is tomorrow, there are sometimes ways around it in terms of we can ask them to do an adjournment, but because it's got to be heard in so a certain amount of days, mm. it, the schools can, sometimes might be a little bit difficult with that. But it's always worth parents knowing, you know, to read that guidance as well. At least probably the first ten or fifteen pages, mm. um you know, because there are paragraphs in there that can actually um, you think, oh, okay, that's happened to my child. That shouldn't be happening. This yeah. should be happening, and I can't impress enough. In terms of parents always reading the exclusions policies and behavioural policies. Another example I had where a young black lad, um, he was permanently excluded for selling sweets, whereas when I got the behavioural policy, he should have only have had an hour of detention. And this happened in a very highly populated borough that the demographic is majority black. So they're just trying to get these kids out of the school. So it's always worth reading the behavioural policy, always worth reading the exclusions policy, because sometimes what the schools are doing against these kids isn't the right thing. The other thing I just want to mention as well is that in the guidance, the previous guidance, it used to actually name the groups of children that were disproportionately um, excluded. So, for example, it was Black Caribbean and African children with special education needs children on free school meals gypsy roma traveler children children who have been looked after then it got scaled down to just pertaining to african children why they took out i'm sorry caribbean Caribbean. children Mm. they took out the word african but african children are also Mm. being excluded as well won't go into the whole history of african and caribbean but yeah And now it just says particular groups, particular trends, particular particular groups of children. So I would argue that all under the Equality Mm. Act, but now they've actually taken the names out of these particular groups. Over the years, each time the guidance changes, they're trying to water it down even more. And as we were talking about before, there's no more funding. There used to be legal aid from 2012 forward for uh, exclusion cases they've taken legal aid away from that. A lot of solicitors left because they don't want to do it for free. But yet yeah, it's the vulnerable of society who will be suffering from this. Yeah. So that's why we do what we do. It's all pro bono work. It's free. But there just isn't enough of us. Definitely. And we get hox people to represent from all over
1: England. Yeah. Our clinic is predominantly in London. How could I forget to add this? We've got a school exclusions hub, which is free. And this is where you can find... Parents can get all the information, how to represent their child, even if they're going to have to do it themselves, make written submissions, template letters, understand the whole process. And you can just literally log in and it's like free resources all put together by our legal department. So, yeah. So if we are not able to represent personally, we've still got free resources. And it is you can just get that all from Just for Kids' website, like School Exclusion Hub download all the letters you need and you and it specifically will take you to issues that I think my child has got to send I think this and it will so you don't even have to understand basically the gist of your argument you would just pick your issue and it would then tailor a letter for you we've really tried to make it as simple as and straightforward as we can um, so that is also a free resource that is available for anyone and advocates also can use this lawyers can use this professional so they want to um, represent, you, you know, anybody can download our free resources.
3: Can I just add, um, sorry, just, just two points. I know it's, I think, uh, in terms of, like, the work that we do, I know Sabrina mentioned our school exclusion campaigners, but just to, like, just flag just the amazing work that they do, So just, they're just a group of young activists and campaigners with lived experience of school exclusions who use their, their experience to sort of support others to come together and make their voice heard and, you know, meet with MPs and... Different uh, government departments and just uh, influence policy essentially and, and make their voice heard and just be incredibly important work. And also just to, just a to flag. I know in, in all of the the changes that we mentioned and the interventions and uh, the measures that need to be put in place, I think what's important to add is that you know schools need the resource and the funding to do this. You know, local authorities and schools need to be adequately resourced to be able to support all children, uh, no matter what their need is. So I think it's important to, while well, remember, you know, the support that needs to be in place, but remember from the, you know, the government perspective, the the funding that that also needs to go into that as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So you've talked a lot about success stories, but like as an organisation, what does success look like to you? You
2: know, success isn't always about winning. It's about the young person having a voice, the parents having a voice. And I've had a lot of parents say to me like, oh, you know, we were so happy that we were having a black solicitor representing us. And even though we didn't win that case, you gave us a voice. I've had that throughout, you know, so it's it's about them being heard, which is really important. And there was one young person that said it was the first time they, they realized and felt that somebody was on their side and they knew that they that the exclusion wasn't their fault.
0: Yeah, I love that. I think visibility and representation is so important. There are, or there have been a lot of high-end roles which haven't always had a lot of Black visibility, so it must be really reassuring and refreshing to have Black solicitors because it's almost like, well, you actually hear me and you see me. Yeah. We're based in Cheltenham, Gloucestershire, which despite having lower numbers of Black children has a higher than average exclusion rate what is your experience of school exclusion in more uh, rural parts of the uk i mean we still see exclusions happening and we still see
1: discrimination in education happening and that uh, when we think to why that is as we as we touched on it's to do with the structural discrimination that exists throughout society it's really important that teachers and those particularly who are influencing in policy have to understand their own, or sometimes their unconscious bias, and sometimes their conscious bias, they have to understand that. And I think one of when I look at one of the issues that we now have this new school exclusions guidance, is it, it's taken out these characteristics. So we're telling schools to look at their statistics, but we're not telling them what to look at. So I think that's a bit concerning that we've got now a new school exclusion guidance, which has just come out in September, and it's saying, look at your national trends. In order to make schools accountable, we need to tell them what they need to be looking at, and and also we need to be telling them this is the type of training you need to go on. They need to go on adultification training. They need to understand racial bias. They need to understand that how their own prejudices against black boys, you know, particular, is seen. You need to understand that you're seeing them as big, black, and aggressive. This is a problem when you see when you look at a group of white boys and you see a group of lads just having a laugh. This is a problem. You need to understand your own entrenched racism. And we know it goes back. We know it stems right right back to slavery, but they need to understand that this is why you have the thought process you do. And that's why you see you're more likely to exclude this child than another child. Um, So I think it, it is about understanding that, that they're also taking conscious steps to eliminate discrimination and look at what they're doing. And when they have a black child in front of them, start questioning themselves about these things. Don't just say, I'm not racist, but I'm going to permanently exclude you. Ask yourself, what could I have done? Can we avoid this? If this child, I mean, I've had cases where we've had two children do similar things, one black and one white, and they were permanently exclude the black child and still think that they're not racist. This is how bad sometimes schools can be. And this school out of London. So it's really concerned, you know, they really do need to understand their own um, racial bias and prejudices that comes into their decisions, that come into their policies, that come into their thought process. And also to what positive things can they be putting in for these children as well, particularly where you're a minority. It's really important. Is there mentoring support? As um, Florence touched on as well, how can we make sure that children are being supported in a positive way so that their self-fulfilling policy is a positive experience so that they can come on to be what they can be.
2: I think the other thing as well um, is that because when we're dealing with rural places, you know, a lot of people are a little bit ignorant in the sense that when they're watching TV and what they're seeing about black boys on TV, they bring that stereotype into the school as well, which isn't very positive either. Um, So it's really important that, you know, I think going back to your other question, would it help if there were black teachers in the school? Yes, it would in rural areas, but they've got to be the right type of black person that you've got there, you know. So, um, yeah, it's very difficult. And one thing I would just say as well, I remember doing a seminar some time ago and somebody said that they were from outside of London. And somebody had said, what can we do to make a difference? And I said, treat each black child as an individual. So, and the example I always use is I've got quite a lot of nieces and nephews. Eight of those are boys. If they're all standing outside my parents' house, somebody going along could think they're a gang when in fact they're actually cousins and brothers and sisters. So it's about looking at things differently when they see a black child. Um, and as Sabrina said, it's systemic and I could go on for ages about this. History of it because it's very sad in terms of the history hasn't changed. Right. Back in the 60s and 70s, black boys and girls were considered as educationally subnormal and they were being sent to cruise because they were considered as being mentally unwell, you know, and which wasn't the case. And the parents didn't know. And that's how you had the parents' group start up. And that's how you had the Saturday school starting up mm-hmm. because somebody was strong enough to say, well, actually, these children aren't being treated properly. So it's a systemic thing. There is not one quick fix, even though we still keep fighting the cause. And it is equally
3: very frustrating. And so just, just in terms of like what you said about rural communities, I know that uh, in 2019, we, we did a po- report on race and, and poverty. And you know, I think what we found in relation to fixed-term exclusions is that fixed-term exclusions are more likely for children eligible for free school meals in areas where, there are, where they are a smaller minority uh, within the local population. So I think when you factor in special educational needs and disabilities and racism, we see how certain groups of children are excluded more, I think, especially in, in rural areas where they make up the minority of the population.
0: I just want to say to everyone, from myself, the producer, and everyone at Lives of Colour, thank you so much for your time. I understand that you're all very busy. Thank you very much. This conversation with Florence, Sabrina, and Ayomi Day from Just for Kids Law was both insightful and alarming. It was horrible to hear that black children as young as five were being excluded from schools. But it was promising to hear that councils in London are starting to introduce inclusion charters which seek to address the causes behind these exclusions. We clearly have a long way to go before efforts like these are introduced across all London boroughs and the country. However, with brilliant people and organizations working tirelessly behind the scenes, I know we are moving in the right direction. So if you are a parent or child listening to this, going through the school exclusion process, I urge you to contact Just For Kids Law or visit their website for resources and more information. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Mangrove. In next week's episode, we'll be talking to author, broadcaster and educator, Jeffrey Bolace about his experience as a teacher, and his perspective on what needs to be changed to address the pressing issues at hand. To make sure you don't miss out, follow or subscribe to Mangrove wherever you are listening. And if you can, please share, leave a rating and review as it helps people find us.